book, movie, game. Are you for real? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, this is Book Movie Game, and I'm Jem with the Classes. I'm Russ. Hey, this is our special post-PAX edition of Book Movie Game. We just got back from PAX this week, so we're pretty tired. I sound very gravelly, but I refuse to say that I'm sick. So PAX was really awesome. There were a ton of board games there, a ton of card games there, obviously video games. But I was surprised at how many board and card games there were. There were tournaments, which I almost wanted to sign up for, but then I didn't want to be trapped in a tournament all day. Well, assuming that I went on, but still get trapped in a tournament all day and not to get to see all the stuff there was to see. So I didn't do that. Yeah, it was amazing. Just talking about board games. I mean, Steve Jackson games were there. We got to demo a new Bill and Ted's game that was really cool. We went to Mayfair games and saw some uh, really cool Settlers of Catan stuff that I'd never seen before. Um, There were just all kinds of games. Jen got a new edition of Gloom that she'd never seen before. So it was just a really fun time. Um, And like Jen said, too, it was hard to sign up for something that was going to go on too long because there were so many panels and so many things that you wanted to see that it literally was just impossible to see everything. It was great. I got to to meet my favorite uh, Twitch streamer, Man vs. Game, which was really cool. Got to demo um, Elder Scroll Legends card game, which I won. So I get to beta test now, which is also pretty cool. But yeah, it was just a fantastic weekend and a great time of uh, just meeting a lot of cool people. I'd say if you decide to go to PAX, I mean, try and plan it a little bit, but when you get there, it's just going to be different than what you think it's going to be. And just resign yourself to the fact that you're not going to get to see everything. There's no way you can see every panel or go and see every booth. Like, literally, we were there all three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Sunday, walking around, I still found booths that I was like, how did I not know this was there? In fact, in my stream the other night, when I was talking about PAX, someone asked me if I saw this specific game, and I'm like, what is that? And they're like, well, it was at PAX. It's a big deal. It's a new point and click. And I didn't even know they were there because there's so much going on that you can't really take it all in. So you just kind of have to be relaxed about it and see what you want to see. Take breaks. Come back and see some more stuff. I saw several panels. I, I got to talk to a lot of game designers. Super fun time. Yeah, it was fantastic. If you get a chance to go to PAX, uh, definitely do. Uh, just so much cool stuff you can't even imagine. I got to play this really cool was a Steve Jackson game, mm-hmm. which was totally awful for my dyslexia but it was like a bill and ted's game like a time-based game and the way it works is you're just turning your piece around constantly and moving based on where the arrow is on your piece so for me i'm like okay i have all these cards in front of me this one says turn left turn right back one forward but it all depends on where the arrow is on your on your little figurine and it was a fun game but i was like oh gosh my dyslexia is going nuts like where am i going and so for me to try and plan out where my piece was gonna go that was a nightmare but i thought the game game concept was really fun it was fun to play yeah we got to just demo so much cool stuff and it was awesome i don't have to be good at a game to really like it it was fun oh yeah well since this is not the pax podcast but book movie game why don't we go ahead and get started i'll go ahead and start today with the book my book today is called me and earl and the dying girl by jesse andrews now i was i know i know jen's gonna call foul on a combo here but i learned about this through the movie me and earl <laughs> and the dying girl the dad is played by nick offerman wait you can't do two movies i'm not doing two movies i'm explaining how i learned about the book so no, nick offerman plays the dad molly shannon's in it it's a really fantastic movie which 
was so good that it made me want to read the book. And so I got the book by Jesse Andrews. If and you guys was... could see my face right now, <laughs> it's not a happy face. Well, book movie game is just not enough. I have to I have to no, have more categories. I have to do no. book. So today it's book movie movie game for me. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> so Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and uh, it's really hard to talk about this without just kind of giving up a lot of the stories I'm going to. because Spoilers. Really the surprises are in the relationships and things. There's not too many surprises in the book. But it's about a, a kid named Greg Gaines, who's just your average um, high school senior. Doesn't really know what he's going to do with his future, where he's going to go to college. His dad's a sociology professor, and uh, they're really kind of pressuring him to figure out what he wants to do with his life. Uh, and then one of his friends at school, Rachel Kushner, she gets uh, cancer. And so... Greg's mom really encourages him to go spend time with Rachel and hang out with her and he feels kind of weird about that since they don't really know each other so it's sort of this uncomfortable thing like I know I never like gave you the time of day but now that you have cancer let's hang out uh, it's a little awkward at first and uh, they he, he writes that really really well uh, really understands the the teenage mind so they hang out for a while and they become really good friends and the, there's a, this other guy named Earl who's been friends with um, Greg for a long time and they sort of make these spoof movies um, based on all these Hollywood movies and they're ridiculous and they're really funny and uh, so they all three basically wind up being really good friends and they have all kinds of cool stuff i said greg's dad is a sociology professor and he just he's really funny and so he was like i could tell something's up with earl the other day i offered him some of my rabbit and dewey sausage and he refused he usually loves that stuff it's just really fun stuff like that the dad's a really cool character and it's just a really really fun book that i enjoyed <laughs> i almost said movie i mean even book. though you did a nick offerman impression did i do dad. a nick offerman impression well oh, Listen, did when I, I read the book... Did I, last podcast, somehow get away with recommending a code, not an actual game for the game? Did you? No, you did. Oh, I did. Yeah, I also oh, I also recommended a TV series, but hey, that's all water no under more the bridge. Cheating. No all more water cheating. under the book movie game bridge. <laughs> no more cheating, I promise. So anyways, it's just a really good book. It's really touching. A lot of people actually knock the book, saying that it's too similar to uh the fault in our stars the fault in our stars that's the one uh but it really goes different places and uh just because it's about a teenager with cancer it doesn't mean it's the same book and it's it was really an enjoyable read he used some really interesting literary techniques that are um, not common and i think you would enjoy reading it so there it is me and earl and the dying girl by jesse andrews a most definitely a book all right jen do you have a book for us today yeah actually i do so i wanted to take the time and actually do a theme this time instead of doing half themes so it's kind of just i really love the regency period i think jane austen is something that i really love a lot i love the horatio hornblower series so there's a lot of things i kind of love about that time period and it's a big part of i think my childhood and the kind of things i was watching and reading and so the book i'm gonna recommend is his majesty's dragon by naomi novak it came out in 2006 the series is still ongoing and there's new books there's a new book coming out soon or just came out. I love this book because it's kind of, so it's kind of an alternate history. Like what if we, you know, if it was 1805 and we had, and technically I think this is not the Regency period, but uh, if, what if it was 1805 and we had, and England had, not we because we're not in England, but if England had a Navy and then they had an aerial force and everybody did because they all had dragons. And so it sounds a little bit, like, oh, dragons. But she does it so incredibly well. Like, it's really hard to write a good alternate history. I think a bad example of this for me personally 
was Abraham Lincoln and Vampires. Like, I did not enjoy that book. I felt like he didn't spend as much time on the Abraham Lincoln history as he probably should have. But this is, she did such an amazing job with all of the historical points. It sort of feels like an alternate, I don't know if you know of the Horatio Hornblower series, uh, an alternate history of that a little bit. So Captain William Lawrence is a Navy captain. He's been brought up to be in the Navy. And back then, too, there was a lot of, the way they did inheritances and things, you know, it just, trying to get your kid, you had to get them into a trade, or you had to leave them money, so you, you know, he goes into the Navy. And he loves the Navy, and he's a very strict, like, naval man, but in a kind of compassionate way. And essentially what happens is they take a French ship, and they are way far from home, and the Navy back then, one of the things they would do is you would take prizes of other ships. So if you captured ships and you could keep them, the crew got a percentage of that. And it was a win for, for your country because then your country could re-outfit that ship and send it back out. So when they take this French ship, it's like sinking. It's a very small ship. They go inside there and it has a dragon egg. And this is like a super big deal because dragons are hard, not hard to come by, but they're expensive and each country kind of has their own breeds like things that they've done for strength or speed or spitting fire or spitting acid and England like needs more dragons and to add a French dragon to the breeding program is like huge for them so basically they're still pretty far away from the shore and they sort of realize crap this thing is hatching and they don't really know that much about dragons they don't really know they know it has to bond with a person they don't really know what they're supposed to do with it. and But they do know that feral dragons will just fly away and they could lose like a major piece could uh, change the whole war. So it's kind of this interesting dynamic. They all draw lots. Nobody wants to be the dragon handler because in society, dragon handlers are sort of looked down upon. They're considered to not have good manners. They're considered to not have very good lives and kind of be a slave to these giant beasts so they all kind of draw lots, and unfortunately, the person that gets the short straw is this kid. So when the dragon hatches, he approaches with like a harness that they've cobbled together, because that's what they kind of know. They're like, has to bond to a person, and that person has to harness the dragon. So he tries to approach this baby dragon. He can't do it. The dragon's having none of it. Lawrence is like upset because he's like, oh, we don't know enough about what we're supposed to do, and now we're going to lose this major player. Like it's, you know, this is a big deal. And the dragon just looks at him and says, why are you so upset? You look unhappy. And basically he's like, oh, and what ends up happening is he ends up harnessing the dragon. And so his life completely changes because he goes from being a Navy man to being a dragon handler. And it's really cool. And she does such an amazing job of getting the historical details right and kind of the society details right and the way things kind of shake up. And she makes uh, William Lawrence the dragon handler, the captain, she makes him uptight, but in a lovable way. Like you understand he's got a really strong code of honor. He really, he really feels very strongly about right and wrong. And so sometimes that can make him a little bit stuffy, but because she writes him so well, you kind of like that about him. You kind of, you just enjoy the fact that he is like wound a little bit tight and that's okay. So the whole series is amazing, but His Majesty's Dragon definitely is a strong, strong book. It's a great way to start out. And if you enjoy alternate histories, if you enjoy dragons, if you enjoy books with like complicated plots, there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's people that don't particularly like that uh, William has 
taken and the dragon's name is Tam- oh, I'm going to say it wrong Tamir but basically he named him after a ship and there's a lot of people who don't like the fact that he's got this dragon so there's a lot of politics in there too and action because they have to train to fight so it's a really good novel it's his majesty's dragon uh by no- Naomi Novak well if I remember right isn't this the book that you actually got one in the series signed from the author I did I won a contest couple of years ago with one of the middle books i forget which one and i got to send someone a copy for free of his majesty's dragon and then i got the latest copy and got a signed copy so i mean it's always a good thing to sign up with goodreads or whatever and get some of these contests because i was excited to get the new book for free and then i got to share it with a friend so that was pretty cool that's awesome now i know this is going to be a little bit of a weird callback but um when you describe these books to me i haven't read them but when you describe these books to me it really kind of reminded me excuse me of the anne rice vampire series mm-hmm. because of the fact that anne rice was so good with the historical background you really felt like you were in france in 1750 and oh by the way there's vampires and it was just so natural the way she did it and it seems like naomi novak did the same thing with dragons that it seemed like they belonged there and really what i like about naomi how she handles stuff is the first book is just kind of their story and you know how they get together but she handles a lot of these really complicated things like she handles slavery she handles the kind of the way Europe was set up and how like they were fighting, but why were they really fighting? She handles a lot of things from the Napoleonic Wars in a beautiful way. And you understand like she makes those historical points that even though they're different because they're involved with dragons, you still get a, you get a really good idea of who these historical people are. And it's really, you really enjoy, it's just so enjoyable to get that perspective from someone who obviously has studied and knows what they're talking about. And it's just fun to read. They're just so much fun to read. The relationship between Dragon and Ryder is really cool. It's different than like, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Pern series. I love the Pern series, but they're the, like the dragons and writers have this telepathic link, but that's not the way it is in his majesty's dragon. Like they have to talk through everything. And it's so, it's so cool to kind of see their relationship build and dragons understanding of humans and humans understanding of dragons. Because dragons are definitely their own thing in this book. They don't necessarily think the way that humans think. And I like that too. So it's a really excellent series. I think you, everyone would enjoy it. Sounds fantastic. Thanks, Jen. Uh, my movie today is called Don Verdeen. It was written by Jared and Jerusa Hess of Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre fame. And then also directed by Jared Hess. Uh, it was produced by Sam Rockwell, who also plays the lead, Don Verdeen. And this is a really just fun movie, uh, especially if you grew up with any kind of uh, Christian or Bible background. This and I have to say, I love this movie. I just I need to break in and say I love this movie. It's so good. <clears throat> yeah, uh, 10 seconds into this movie, I realized I'm going to watch this movie every day that I can because it's just such a great movie. Like Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre before it, I want to memorize every line in this movie. But uh, like I was saying, if you have any kind of uh, religious or Bible background, especially this movie is going to be really funny to you. Uh, The movie starts out uh, with this 80s looking like VHS tape playing saying, Don Verdeen has been doing the Lord's work recovering biblical artifacts since 1975. And right there I was like, yep, I like this movie. So basically what happened is uh, this archaeologist named Don Verdeen, very kind of simple guy, glasses, kind of nerdy looking. And the thing I like about this movie is that I was worried when I started watching, I'm like, are they going to make this guy a shyster? Like, are they going to make him a con artist? from the beginning and what you really realize in the first couple of minutes of the movie is this guy is completely sincere like he's not making big bucks off of the situation he basically lives in this crappy mobile home 
Like, I liked that a lot because I was worried they were going to make him like, he makes billions of dollars off of these people's faith. But that's not really what it's about. And I like that. Yeah, really. It looks like um, from the possessions that he has, at least in the movie, like it looks like pretty much the only money he's getting is to funding his his digs. He He's did, you know, at the first like 20 years of his career, really authentic biblical archaeology. You know, he actually found like Philistine scissors that you know, could have been the ones that, that cut Samson's hair and so on and so forth and found, like, these really cool finds. Yeah, he basically, his whole his whole ability to speak and write books and do videos is based on the fact that he's found these scissors that could possibly be the scissors that were used to cut Samson's hair. They're Philistine scissors. And that's the only thing he's ever really found. A little, maybe, pottery shards and stuff. So it's like, you got a picture, he found those in, like, 1985, so he really doesn't have anything current going for him. And he just kind of goes from like public library and church to church talking about finding these scissors and his career is kind of winding down. I don't think he's really upset by that as much as he wants to be able to do more. Yeah. And there's um, a really good complimentary cast in this movie. Jermaine Clement uh, from flight of the Concords plays an Israeli archaeologist. That's re- he's just really great in this movie. Uh, Will Forte, has a really cool, I don't know, I, I would call it an extended cameo. He plays a converted Satanist preacher. He does a really good yeah, job. He's really funny in this movie, too. Again, Sam Rockwell's playing it really straight in this movie, and it just comes off really um, touching and genuine. And I don't, I really don't want to spoil the plot of this movie, but a lot of stuff happens that kind of challenge um, him and what he's doing, and, and he has to make some decisions. And it's just, it's a fantastic movie, though. Really well done. Like I said, it's right up there with Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre for me. I really, I just laughed this whole movie and the tension about what was going to happen was real tension for me. Normally, I don't like movies that are caper movies. Sometimes I don't really, I'm not really invested in what's going to happen to the characters. So I don't really care about them that much. It's like, okay, busted, not a big deal. And in this movie, I cared about what happened to all these characters. So every time things took a twist, I really cared about what happened. I genuinely liked Don. I really liked his personality. I understood his frustration and pain. And so when things were taken twists and it did not look like it was going to turn out great for him, I cared about that. And also I laughed. It was, this movie was so hilarious. I laughed. Jermaine Clement gives one of the best performances and I, it just made me laugh so hard. I cried. Now you have to understand too. I love Jared and Drusha Hess. I love their movies. I even enjoy the problematic and patchy gentleman Broncos, like, which is a movie that did not do well. (laughs) And I think is a movie that needs to be re-edited, but I enjoy that. Actually, it was really funny. We have a local uh, independent artsy movie house, and I, I kept waiting for Gentleman Broncos to come out near us. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and it did. It just was not. And so I called them to see if they were going to have it. Or I e- and then of course they didn't answer their phone because they're an art house movie theater. So why would they do that? And so I emailed them. Got back the snottiest email I've ever gotten in my life. It was essentially like, this movie is terrible. The reviews are terrible. Like, it was like, like, basically like, you are a terrible person for asking for getting this movie. Why would we ever get this movie? And I'm like, because I enjoy this, these directors and writers and I want to see it. We did eventually see it. And I, like I said, like, there's parts I really enjoy. I feel maybe it could be benefit from re-edit. But that's, we enjoy Jared Drusha Hess. Yeah, Mike White was in that one. He was really good. Yeah, but I have to say this movie stands on its own. And I don't know, I can't tell. Like, Russ and I, with the backgrounds we have, like, these are the kind of VHSs we would see popped in at homeschool groups and stuff. So I don't know. I feel like it would carry over to anything because it's just hilarious. But especially if any kind of background with that, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, and the thing I really appreciate about Jared and Drusa Hess 
is that everything is so character driven. If you think about Napoleon Dynamite or even Nacho Libre, like the, the, the relationships, there's really only three or four pivotal relationships and that's why the movies have such a emotional weight to them. And this is, again, Don Verdeen is another movie that's like that. There's really only three or four key relationships in his life, and the whole movie's just playing off of those really well. So Don Verdeen, it's on Netflix right now. Check it out. All right, my movie is also a Hess movie, but it's mostly a Jerusha Hess movie. I don't think Jared had anything to do with it. It's Austin Land, which came out in 2013. Now, I loved the book that this is based on. I really enjoyed it, but the movie does such a fantastic job, and I really feel like if you haven't seen it, see it. I don't know where you can find it, but see it. I don't think it's on Netflix right now. Basically, the movie stars Carrie Russell, J.J. Field, Jennifer Coolidge, Brett McKenzie, Jane Seymour, and a fantastic part for her. And basically, Carrie Russell is just kind of probably, in, I guess she's supposed to be early to mid-30s. I'm not really sure of her age range, but basically, she's a single lady. She's obsessed with Jane Austen, and particularly she's obsessed with the PBS version of Pride and Prejudice, which is obviously fantastic. She's obsessed with that. And so what's kind of happened is she's had a lot of romantic disappointments, just things that didn't go anywhere, like literally tons of dating mistakes and never finding a guy that really treated her as well as Mr. Darcy did. (laughs) Of course, he was kind of rude, but basically nothing that would ever remotely play out like a Jane Austen novel. And her friends have kind of got married. Her best friend is married and pregnant. And she's just kind of like, you need to let this fantasy go. Like you need to, to let this ideal go. But life just keeps disappointing her so much. She just keeps going back to it. You know, she's a bad situation where she dated a guy at work one time or no, she didn't, she doesn't want to date him. And he literally says to her, what else you got going for you in the most depressing way possible? And it's just like, oh. So you just kind of see her just make this decision about this place that basically lets you for a week or however long you pay to play out this Austin fantasy. It's in England and they have this huge mansion and they provide all these clothes. And basically you get to pretend that you are in Jane Austen's world. And there's uh, there's actors playing the guys And she just decides she's just going to go for it. She gets sucked in. She goes to like this terribly seedy (laughs) travel agent that shows this like kind of wonky VHS video about it. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Like, when am I going to have an opportunity to do this for myself? And I'm just going to get out of my system. I'm going to play out my Jane Austen fantasy and I'm going to get it out of my system. And she basically puts all of her savings into this huge trip. And the thing I love about it is there's such a thing with fandoms where you know, other people don't always understand, like, when you're a super fan of something and they don't get why it's so important to you. And I really feel, and sometimes those things can get in the way of your real life. And it's really interesting to see, like, she goes to this place, she take, they give her, like, a couple dance lessons. Unfortunately, she finds out she's only gotten the copper package, which means she gets the crappy brown dresses and doesn't get to wear the amazing dresses she wants to wear. And she sort of realizes that even in her fantasy, she's taking a backseat. Like she's kind of invisible, even in her own fantasy. So there's so much about this movie that's just amazing and hilarious. Jane Seymour plays the lady who runs the place and does the best job of just being a stone cold lady who's just going to stare you down and take you down. She's a fantastic job. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge plays another lady there because there's several people there at the same time kind of living out this 24-7 Renaissance Fair except Regency era Jane Austen fantasy and she's hilarious because she's just there to be there like she doesn't even like the Jane Austen books 
and she is hilarious and it's just so many funny moments and just great moments and especially if you grew up with Jane Austen like I did which most you know most girls in my class like read Jane Austen we all read Jane Austen and if you've ever watched the BBC the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice you just kind of kind of sucked into this world it's so much fun just watch what happens when you actually get what you think is your fantasy and how that's going to work out. And like the difference between like you're playing against these other actors and like, what are you saying that's real? What do you like, what are you saying that's fake? Is it all pretend? Like, how can you even tell? Which I feel like, I feel like in real life sometimes like, is this person meaning what they're saying? Or are they just saying like, it's very interesting. And I, I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. I went with my friends for my birthday and I laughed a lot. So Definitely, if you get a chance, see Austin Land. I think it's probably available on Amazon or someplace, but I really enjoyed it. And actually, I think it plays across. I mean, I don't think you have to be a girl to like it. I think anyone can like it. I was going to say, Jen kind of roped me into watching this movie with her. Going into it, I wasn't uh, real excited about it just because just the way that it looks, the packaging on it looks very like, oh, wow. We're going to (laughs) be strapping in for two hours of pain here. I got to say, I really enjoyed it. Of course, I really like Brett McKenzie. I like Jane Seymour. I really like um, Jennifer Coolidge. So there is a lot of uh, a lot more humor in it than I thought there would be. I just really I enjoyed the way that the story unfolded. I really did enjoy this uh, this movie. One thing I really love about this movie is they kind of make you fall in love with this character and you're just willing to go there with her. Like you're willing to face the humiliation. Like she at the airport, when they come to pick her up, she's like dressed in like this, what could only be called some sort of weird little house in the prairie outfit. Cause she's got this like crazy bonnet on and she just realizes the second she gets out there, like this is a terrible mistake to wear this, but she does anyway. Like there's so many things she does that are like humiliating, but you just feel for it. Cause like we've all, done stuff like that or all felt that way and it's just a really enjoyable movie i'm glad you enjoyed it russ yeah thanks jen my game today is a little bit of a cautionary tale oh no this is something i haven't even told you i was saving it for this moment first of all let me talk about amazon underground for a second which is amazon underground is a really cool i don't know whether you call it an app or whatever it is but it gives you games that used to cost money for free so for instance i got um, star wars knights of the old republic for free through amazon underground and to be clear, they don't pay us or do anything with us nope. at all. We're not big enough for them to even notice nope. us. But just to be clear, like no one's paid us to say anything at any time, anywhere, I just any talk place. about stuff I like at this point. If Amazon Underground wants to pay us to say Amazon Underground is great, it'll be very easy because I already think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got DuckTales, uh, the Nintendo game, on my phone for free through Amazon Underground. So anyways, so there was this opportunity that it showed, and I was so excited that I ran right to Jen and said, Look, Jen... And what I told her is, look, Jen, there's a Peter Jackson game for free on Amazon Underground. I thought Peter Jackson, the director of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, had made a game. It looked very, you know, had a map on it. It looked very... Um, Middle-earthy. Middle-earthy. And so I just, my for whatever reason, so then I realized as I looked at it later, it is not Peter Jackson. Then it said it's a, a, a game by Steve Jackson. So then I got really excited and I said, Jen, I messed up. It's not Peter Jackson, the Lord of the Rings guy. It's Steve Jackson, the guy who made the game Munchkins. <laughs> and so I was really excited. I, I downloaded it. I started playing it. It's super awesome. It's called Sorcery. The Sorcery Series by Steve Jackson. And then I looked it up to uh, to do it for the podcast. And I realized it's not even that Steve Jackson. <laughs> so not only is it not Peter Jackson and not Steve Jackson of Munchkin fame. It is Steve Jackson, the man who wrote the fighting fantasy canon in 1983, which is a role-playing game. Sort of like Dungeons and Dragons. I don't want to say it's too similar because then 
Dungeons and Dragons fans will be uh, offended, and then, you know, sorcery fans will be offended. There are uh, supposedly, and supposed to be, four games in the sorcery series, each taking a different part from that fighting fantasy canon. So, again, I got the first sorcery game for free. I went through that. I beat that. Uh, it got to the end. Asked me if I wanted to upload my character to the cloud, which I did. I got the second sorcery game for free again on Amazon Underground. I think they're supposed to be like four ninety nine a piece. So I was really excited, and so I was able to download my same character into game number two. Had a great time. Got all the way to Kare. Enjoyed that so much. So the first game was the uh, Shumanti Hills. The second one is uh, the Road to Kare. Finished that one. Uploaded my character. So excited. And then I saw Sorcery th- number three which is the new one, just came out, and that you had to pay $4.99. And I thought, you know, I've got all this for free. I have no problem paying $4.99 for this game. It was a fantastic game. If I have to pay $4.99 for the third and then the fourth one that's coming out next year, so be it. I paid $4.99 for it, downloaded it, or attempted to download it, and then I realized that it doesn't work on the Amazon Fire. No! So, so... Just to reiterate what I said, so Amazon Underground, (laughs) which is only available on Amazon devices, had number one and number two for free. And then number three, which was for purchase, do not work on Amazon devices. Oh, no. (laughs) I have no idea why this is. I've, I've sent them an email. I've told them about this. There's a million people who have said, why would you put it on Amazon Underground if you couldn't finish the series out? Yeah. Because the whole point of Amazon Underground, I believe, is to get you excited about these game designers and so that you'll buy more of their stuff, which is exactly what I did. Yeah. And I, to this day, I'm really excited to play Sorcery <laughs> Number 3, and I can't do it. So I, I don't know what to do at this point, but uh, again, the Number 1 and Number 2, fantastic games. I cannot vouch for Number 3, but I'm sure it's really cool. But it's really fun. There's a lot of fighting. Uh, there's a lot of making decisions on what paths you want to take. So, for instance, this one time, you know, like really early into the trip, I lost all my gold and my food. And so I, I went hungry the entire trip. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because pretty much any time anytime I said yes to eating something, it wound up being poison or something. <laughs> you know, it's not good. There's a variety of ways to die in this game. And I did all of them, I believe. I remember you when you were playing the first one, just being like, look how beautiful this is. And then five minutes later, like... I died again! Mm -hmm. I died again! Like, it really drove you crazy, but you were enjoying yourself, apparently, dying over and over again, which I can identify with. Yeah, I mean, the music is beautiful. They actually got the the United States um, Army Drum Corps to do the music. It's beautiful music. Like, when you beat it and the the credits come up, I just turn the music all the way up because it's gorgeous. It's a really good-looking game. It's really fun. There was one time uh, that I rescued this fairy, and I was all excited. I'm like, this fairy is going to do all this magic for me and all this cool stuff. And it wound up being that if you had the fairy, you couldn't do any magic. Oh, not no. your own and he and you would ask him like fairy should i go left or right and he goes i don't know you're the boss you're the one that rescued me and i thought oh wait a minute a fairy that needs rescuing probably isn't going to be that powerful <laughs> i didn't think about it at the time i was just so excited to get a magical creature and that's what i liked about this game like there's so many other games like you rescue a fairy and all of a sudden now you've got a fairy on your team and i did but it wasn't a good thing um, but uh, that being said, the spells page was beautiful because it sort of takes you up into the night sky and it has these letters that are like in a rotating globe. And it's just, it's a beautiful game. And again, like I said, the first two games, I just I just kind of powered through them and enjoyed them. And you can go back and play them and be different characters and different things. But it was really fun. The fighting is really fun. And But again, like I said, I, I can't play number three. I've paid for it and I can't play it. So I really like the spe- 
spell dynamic on there because you use like letters. You have to type in letters for each spell. You kind of have to remember them, or do you? Uh, yeah, you do have to kind of remember them, but they are also um, very intuitive. So L I T is light. Okay. No, L O K is unlocking a door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like So they they are intuitive to a certain extent, and so there's basic spells, and then there's spells that you need to have items to combine with to make the spell. So yeah, there's just a. It's really cool. It's a really cool game. Um, the sorcery series by uh, Steve Jackson, uh, not guess, Munchkin, and also not Peter Jackson. That's right. So you can get the first two free, like I said, on Amazon Underground, uh, and the third one, uh, get it on a non-Amazon device. Cool. So my game today is Third and Taxes, which Third and Taxes is this really cool little game, and you don't really hear too many people talk about it, but it's for me, it's a super fun game. It's basically like if you're tr- you're trying to build post office routes across. Bavaria, and it's basically a mini history, a little bit of how the post office office started in Germany, and Germany was originally a bunch of little countries, and later got consolidated into Germany. Anyway, so the point of the game is you're trying to get these little tiles that allow you that have cities on them that allow you to take a route. You have to have at least three to to do a route, and basically there's all these different regions. So when you, when you do your route, let's say you have three cities in a row, you turn them in, you get, you get your kind of your money or whatever, and then you have to figure out, you can only put, there's rules about how many little postal carriages you can put out, and that's what gets you points. So you can either do, like, it's like, oh, you can put one in each region, or you can do two in one, like, there's specific rules depending on what you're doing, and what you're trying to do is have the most points at the end. And basically, that depends on. There's points you pick up along the way. Like if you have a po- if you have a postal carriage in each region, then you get points if you're first. And it's kind of diminishing returns. So like the first person, I think, gets like seven points for doing that. The second person only gets like six points. It goes down relatively quickly. So you kind of have to do things first, and you can't do everything. You can't follow every single strategy because you don't have enough postal carriages to do that. So you have to figure out a what you're going to go with, B, what everyone else is going with, because you're going to have to change it up. And it's really fun and a different way to play. And the rules are just, it's its not hard to learn how to play, but the gameplay is different than anything else I've played before. You kind of get to pick guys like to help you. And you also have, there's just, there's so many different ways to get points. It's hard to describe without showing you the board. But it's fun and everyone kind of likes to play. And even if you're just kind of puttering around, figuring it out, you still get to do a lot of fun stuff, and it's just really enjoyable to watch. It's a beautiful-looking game, too. The board's beautiful. The guys are beautiful. And it's just fun to play around with that concept. And it's different than, like, Ticket to Ride, where you have to lay out your trains from one city to the next, and you have to fill in all the things. It's basically, like, you just kind of deciding where you're going to put these little routes. And I like this game a lot. Russ and I play this game a lot with my parents, actually, because they're the ones who own it. But it's super fun. And if you like games that are sort of ba- about, I don't want to say like systems, but if you like games where there's a variety of different ways to win and how you want to win is sort of based on what you like to do and what the other players are doing. Because if too many players do one thing, then it's not going to work well. And if you sort of resign yourself to the fact that part of the game is luck because we flip up these city tiles and whatever you have available to choose from on your turn is what you have available. I mean, there's things you can do. You can clear out the board once. There's things you can do. But basically, you may be, you know, you're like, I have all these cities in my hand. I just need one more city. I want to complete this big route. And you may not be able to do it. As long as you kind of understand that 
it's just really fun. I enjoy it. I like the theme a lot too, which is not something you think about as early post office systems. But to me, it's it's an enjoyable time. Yeah, I really enjoy this game. I, I like the variety of the ways that you can win. I've won using a variety of strategies. I've also lost using a variety of strategies. Yeah, everybody's kind of doing a different thing, and you're not always quite sure at first um, what strategies people are employing. And one of the aspects I really like, too, is that the, the power can swing pretty quickly. If someone's in the lead, it doesn't mean they're going to win. Um, every time that you're doing a route, if you can't continue doing that route, your whole route gets wiped out, and that is tough. Yeah, so as you lay things down in front of you, I guess I didn't describe this well, you kind of, you get to, you don't get to lay, it's not like trains where you get to lay out the whole thing at once. You have to start building it in front of you. And there's points where it's like, okay, I have four. I could cash it out now and complete my route, and complete a route. Or if I get this tile or this tile, I can keep going. Because once you sit down those tiles in front of you, you can't switch them around. So if you sit down this city in the middle and then the two other cities on the other sides, they have to be touching on the board. Like it has to be an actual route. You can't switch those around later if you want to. They're stuck that way. And like the next time, if you don't cash it out, you have to put down another tile that either goes on either end that city has to connect to the, the other city you're putting down. So it makes it interesting because there's that gambling aspect too because you're like, man, if I get seven, I'm going to get a big amount of points. I'm going to get the large route points, get these other points. But then you do that and you're like, oh, crud, I can't complete this. And you might have to trash the whole thing. The other thing I like about it is the scoring aspect, which is when you complete a route, then you have to make a decision whether you want one carriage in each region that you did or in one color. Yeah. So it's really, it's a really interesting. So it's like if you do two grays and two oranges and two reds, you could do one in gray, one in orange, and one in red. Or you could do two in gray. Two. It's just, it's mind boggling all, depends all the on what choices. You do. And it's, it's, some of the regions are really hard to get to. So it's a fun game. It doesn't take terribly long to play. I'd say it takes about an hour. It's a nice, yeah, nice it's quick not, game. Yeah. And it's, if you have people that are taking quick turns, it doesn't even take that long. And hopefully you can convince people not to take long turns. Guys, if you're sitting there for a long time agonizing over a decision, you're probably not fun to play games with. Well, the one thing I really like about this game, I think about this quite often actually, is you have the opportunity to wipe the whole board and so you have different options. I always think about that in life. It's like, okay, my choice is this month, pay the electric bill, fill up the car with gas, or get groceries. I'm going to wipe the board, and now the choices are win $500, win $300, <laughs> or win $100. And I've always thought about that. What a, what a great opportunity to do that in life. Just wipe all the choices <laughs> away and get new choices. But, yeah, it's a really fun game, uh, and we really, really enjoy it. So that's, I mean, that's all our games and books and movies. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. It was really fun to go out and talk to other people at PAX that also enjoy podcasts and also enjoy game streaming and also enjoy board games. So that was really a fun time. It, you know, you can find me on Twitch. I stream. I'm going to be streaming three nights a week now, and I'm probably going to start upping that from there. But I stream Mondays, Thursday nights, and Saturday nights. Saturday nights, I do Heroes of Might and Magic, which is a really fun game. That's like more more a long-term game. On uh, Monday and Thursday, I play retro games, usually point-and-click adventure games, but I'm not necessarily locked into that. So you can find me um, at Twitch at Jen with Glasses. I'm also on Twitter at Jen with Glasses. So please, you know, take the time to follow and comment if you like it. Our email address for the podcast is bookmoviegamepodcast at gmail.com. Please send emails and tell us what you think if you watch these movies. I know Russ had a disagreement with his friend about Sphere because... <laughs> His friends sent an email and basically like a personal email, not a movie game email where you would read it. 
and basically said, I still, I love you. The podcast is great. Sphere is a, ter- Sphere is a terrible movie. That's uh, what he said. And but- also, um, Jen put a variety of uh, pictures from PAX on her Twitter, so you can check those there. Yeah. Uh, there's pictures of me and her doing cool and various and sundry things there. So. so thank you guys so much, and I hope you continue to enjoy our podcast, and we'll see you next time. And Russ isn't doing a catchphrase. I don't know what to do. Thanks for listening to Book Movie Game. Absolutely. <laughs>